14 through 16 in chapter 14 of the book of Genesis. And for the thought today is rescuing our one. I had no idea where this title was going to come. I didn't know this message come about different than most. It just laid out the message. And then all of a sudden God started putting pieces together to show me the direction after the message was laid out. I don't know that that's ever happened to me before, but it happened this week and and we saw we see God's hand in this. You know, how many here like bullies? None of y'all like bullies. I don't like bullies either. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a fan of um, of people bullying other people. I'm just not a fan of that. Whether it's children bullying children or adults are bullying bullying adults. So I don't really like to watch movies that center around prisons. I just don't, I'm just not a fan of bullies. I remember one day, my junior year in high school, a friend of mine who rode with me found himself being confronted by one. The bell had rang and it was time to dismiss from school and I was walking to my locker and I turned and looked and he was there up against his locker and there was this wannabe bad boy all in his face. I walked over to see what was going on and this guy looked at me and said, mind your own business. I said, this is my business. I'm getting ready to leave and he's riding with me whether you like it or not. Let's go. He looked at me, looked back at the guy and walked away. As we got to the car, opening the door, my friend looked at me and said, thank you for standing up for me. We never did mention it again. If I've told that, I've only told it once or twice and just never shared names. I've never been one to like confrontation. I don't like confrontation. But life has taught me not to be afraid of it. Because the truth is we have an enemy. Yes, we all have enemies. An enemy. Whether you serve Satan or not, he is our enemy. So let me put that out here so we understand it. If you are not serving Jesus Christ, if he is not your Lord and Savior, then the one that you serve is your enemy. The Apostle Peter said it this way about our enemy. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, he said he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I want to encourage us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're confronted by our enemy, we must stand. Moses told the children of Israel when they faced the Red Sea in front of them and their enemy quickly approaching with an intent to harm them behind them. He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If we fail to stand 
up to our enemy, then we will be robbed of joy. We will be robbed of our peace, our love, our strength, and our hope. And also, failure to stand up for our, to our enemy may cost us one who is seeking the love of Christ. It may cost us being able to witness to them. It may cost us being able to win them to Christ if we fail to stand up to our enemy. In the book of Genesis, we find Abraham is in a situation where he had to make a decision to stand up for another. Here in chapter 4, the Bible says in verses 14 through 16, it says, Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them at night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobab, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back, all, brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. This is God's holy word. God, as we do come before you, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence right now. And God, we, we seek your power. We seek your anointing. We seek your presence. As we attempt to preach this word, God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to help us receive it. God, we pray that you would speak on my behalf. God, that you would speak to us. That God, I'd be no more than a vessel this day. And God, you'd be glorified in all that's said and done. God, if there's one who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, let this be a day that they cry out, what must I do to be saved? In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. In this chapter, we find that kings of five city-states in the plain, in the plain of Jordan, had been subject to kings of four eastern city-states for 12 years. So what I'm saying is, for 12 years, this kings of five states had been under the rule of kings of four states. After 12 years, the ones who were under rule, they rebelled, which started the first war that's mentioned in the Bible. The four eastern kings invaded the Jordan Valley and defeated five kings and took the people in their possessions captive. In verse 12, the Bible says they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Abram, he loved his nephew Lot. When God told him to leave his country and his father's house, he took his wife and he took his nephew with him. When he passed through Egypt, Abraham had his wife and he had his nephew Lot with him. And what we find is when God blessed Abraham, 
he blessed Lot also. But then there come a time when the land couldn't hold both of them. The land couldn't hold them, their herd, and their servants. It was just too many in one place. And it was causing arguments among the servants. And before it would cause strife between Lot and Abram, Abram said, Lot, choose where you want to go. We've got to separate. Lot chose Sodom. And sometime later, this war breaks out. I want to bring to our attention verse 12. Lot is referred to as Abram's brother's son. However, in verse 14, he was referred to as Abram's brother. Physically, Lot was Abram's brother's son. But Lot had been living with Abram for some time and he had become like a son to Abram. But spiritually, Lot was Abram's brother. How is that preacher? Because Abraham's God was Lot's God. So he was his brother. And what we know here is that now Abram's brother is enslaved by their enemy. And whenever a brother or sister in Christ is enslaved by our enemy, we as believers must take a stand for them. Keep in mind, Lot had proven himself to be selfish. He had proven himself to be worldly. So, but Abram didn't allow these excuses to stop him from standing up for his brother. And I want to say to us, we can't use any excuse. When we see our brother or our sister in trouble, yes, they may have caused it themselves. Yes, they may have wandered away from God. But if we see them in trouble, it is our duty to help them in their time of need. Abram didn't throw up any excuses. It seems that he knew that he being the stronger in his faith and the more committed to serving God, that he was bound to bear the infirmities of his weaker brother. As we look here at the text, I want us to see just how Abraham went about rescuing his brother Lot. Here we find, as we look here in these passages in verse 14 and 15, we find real quickly that Abram strategically sought to rescue Lot. He didn't just seek to rescue him, but it was a strategic plan. Abram was very strategic in his seeking to rescue Lot. He chose only loyal, trained persons to help him. We see that there in verse 14. In verse 14, he took only those who were born in his household who were trained to fight. They numbered only 318 men, and Abraham was willing to go to battle with these 318 men. But he didn't just take the men and head out to war. Instead, he formed a strategic plan. He divided the men into several groups and he instructed them to place themselves in such areas 
areas that would give them an advantage when it come time to attack. Abram also was there with them. He didn't just send them out the battle, but he went out the battle along with them. It, in fact, it appears that Abram led the charge. And when it was time for them to launch the attack, Abram arranged for the attack to take place at night, which caught the enemy off guard. And, and he was able to gain a total victory, completely defeating his enemy and setting all the captives free. Some of you may have caught on to the television show Yellowstone. Yeah, I see some heads are shaking. Yeah, uh, if you like, if you like horses, <laughs> you'll like that show. You won't like the language. I'll go ahead and tell you that up front. You won't like the language, but you'll like the show. You'll like what the show's about. And if you've been caught up with Yellowstone, you will remember this. Um, in the last episode of season two, John Dutton's grandson, Tate, had been kidnapped. The sheriff and John came to an agreement. They had recently been at odds with each other, but now they've come to an agreement on how to attack the enemy to find out where they were keeping John's grandson. First, the warrant was provided and the warrant would serve as, would be served by Tate's father, who was a special, a former special forces navalman. Uh, John and his son would be notified when the two enemies responsible for kidnapping uh, Tate were, were home alone. And when the sheriff's deputies would at that time stand down, uh, uh, once the warrant was served, for the warrant to be served, while serving the warrant, enough information was gathered to find where Tate was being held. And John and his men were able to find Tate and bring him home safely. Some of you remember that. But I want to tell you, because of the plan that John, his son, and the sheriff put together, they were able to bring this young boy home safely. You know, if you and I plan to make any attempt to rescue one, maybe our one, from the grip of the enemy, we need a strategic plan. We are going up against an enemy that, that we cannot defeat on our own. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said that our enemy is described as having agents and, and they are described as being principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age and a spiritual host of wickedness uh, in, in heavenly places. He uses these agents to tempt us to fall or even stand idle and not lend a helping hand. So we had better go in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. This means that those who we enlist to help us, they must be believers also in the Lord Jesus Christ. They must believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. They must believe that he died on an old rugged cross. He was buried in a barred tomb and on the third day God raised him up from the dead conquering death, hell, and the grave. They must confess Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Anyone who wins one to Christ must be one to Christ themselves. If we are to seek to win one to Christ, 
It is to our advantage to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. For we, for he will lead us to our one at the most appropriate time. So that we can't allow anything to get in the way to hinder us from going, from following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. For it, it is he and he alone who prepares the heart of the one that we're going after to share the gospel. And when we, and in this... It's not just that we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we, that we are led by the Holy Spirit, but we must go ourselves. We can't sit back and enlist people to go and just wait for everything to happen. But we must go and share the gospel ourselves. You know, the truth is, it just may be our testimony. It may be our story. That God has prepared their heart to receive. Doesn't matter what anyone else would say. But they would receive the story of our witness for Christ. We must participate ourselves. Romans tells us that we, sh we can't be ashamed of sharing the gospel. It says we can't be ashamed of the gospel. Romans uh, 1 and 16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So we have no reason to be ashamed to share the gospel. You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. But the gospel can change hearts. Just as Christ pursued after us. Just as he placed people on our path to share the gospel with us. When we were enslaved to sin. We must pursue our enslaved one. Until he or she is rescued from the, by the power of the gospel. There's a strategic plan that we must follow. We go through the under the power of the Holy Spirit. We go when and where the Holy Spirit leads, and we go and share the gospel. We trust God in sharing the gospel. Abram sought to rescue Lot, and he sought to rescue him by using a strategic plan. But in verse 16, what we find is Abram was not only strategic in his plan, he was selfless in his rescue to Lot. Here, Abram rescued his brother, as we see there in verse 16. But that's not all he done. Verse 16 says he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. Abram could have kept everything to himself. But unselfishly, he returned everything to the people. Now, we have to remember who these people was he was returning everything to. They were people of Sodom. They were unbelievers. They were terrible people. They were immoral. They were evil but still, Abraham freed them and returned all their goods. God has always extended compassion towards us. He has been unselfish towards us. He was compassionate toward Abram. For after Abram sinned in Egypt, God forgave him and he restored him. And now Abram was showing compassion and selflessness toward the people of Sodom demonstrated the very 
compassion and unselfishness of God himself. So there was something about that story on Yellowstones that I didn't share with you. About something about the rescue of Tate. When they found out where Tate was. Now keep in mind Tate's a 10 year old boy. He's been taken by some white supremacists. And when they find out where he's at. (laughs) The Duttons had no idea what they were facing. They had no idea how many they were facing. So they were running out of options. So Tate's father, Casey, goes to the foreman of the ranch, Rip. And he asked Rip to be a diversion. Rip would, they would need Rip to ride a horse into the area where the enemy was in order to draw them out so that John Dutton and his men would, be, would know what they were facing. And they could go in and get their his grandson. Rip was vulnerable, would be vulnerable to gunfire, just him on a horse. He would be risking his life for a child that wasn't his. And without hesitation, he selflessly put his life on the line to save this little boy. And it worked. It worked. He gave them himself so that someone else could have a chance. The Bible teaches us in 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What does that mean for us? It means that if we love the gospel, then we will live the gospel. And if we love and live the gospel, then we will share the gospel. For those of us, for those who are far from God, who don't know the the truth about peace, love, joy, and hope, uh, they are desperate. The Bible teaches us that they are miserable because the only hope they have is in this world. But the truth is, we have what they need. We have the way. The Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only path to an eternity spent with God. We have the truth. The truth is that Jesus died for the sin of the world. He rose to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And if we will believe in him and receive him as our Lord and Savior, salvation will be gifted to us. And we have the life. So that tells me right now we have the the way, the truth, and the life. And folks, I want to let you know about life. Right now, we who know Jesus Christ as our Lord. Lord and Savior, we are experiencing an abundant life. We have the Holy Spirit abiding with us, which makes us richer than anyone else in the world. I want to tell you, when he's living with us, we're safer than anyone else in the world. When he's living with us, we're more powerful than anyone else in the world. And when we will come together as a body of believers, there's nothing that can come against us as long as God is with us. 
Folks, I'm not waiting for eternal life. When I die, uh, to, when I die I'm not waiting to die to receive eternal life. I don't know about you. I don't know how it was when you got saved. But the day the Lord saved me, the day the Holy Spirit came to indwell me, he gave me eternal life. Not because I deserved it, but simply by his grace and his love. And to have this and not share this is the most selfish thing we could ever do. Preacher, I can't talk to people. Let the Holy Spirit in you talk for you. Preacher, I don't know how to approach people. Let the Holy Spirit in you approach them. We've got no excuse. And to refuse to share the gospel is just pure selfish. God loves a cheerful giver. So we should all cheerfully give by sharing the gospel. Because as we share the gospel and people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, others, those who come to know him because we've shared the gospel can then start receiving all that God has in store for them. We can't receive all that he has in store for us until we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So I would say, let's make a stand, Reedy Branch. For those who are on this board, for those who are in your home, those who are in your neighborhood, those who you work with, those who you come in contact with that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, let's make a stand. Let's share Jesus with them. Let's stand between them and our enemy, knowing that Jesus is on our side. Let's be cheerful givers of the gospel. As born again believers, it may be, it just may be a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, or someone we barely know that we find enslaved to sin and needing rescued. I want to encourage us to be strategic in seeking to rescue them. We must go in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must enlist others who are who are believers along with us so that they can witness for Christ. We must be willing to witness for Christ ourselves and we must go when and where the Holy Spirit would send us. This isn't about us, it's about him. So we go strategically. And we go selflessly. Again, this isn't about our ego. It isn't about bringing attention to ourselves and boasting about how many I've won for Christ. It's about us humbling ourselves so Christ can be magnified and God can be glorified. This is about loving, living, and sharing the gospel. And getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit do the work of saving people. 
All we are to be are instruments. And when we are instruments, our Savior is magnified. Our God is glorified. And he will edify us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe, just maybe you're here today and you find that you are far from God. I want to tell you that this body of believers would love for you to get to know Jesus as your Savior. This same Jesus that we know, we would love for you to know. For you to know his hope, his peace, his joy, and his love. We would love for you to know that you can have the promise of eternal life. You can have it if you believe that Jesus is God's only begotten son that he lived a sinless life and that he died on an old rugged cross for your sins if you believe that he arose on the third day fulfilling the scriptures oh if you can have eternal life if you believe this and you're willing to confess him as your Lord and Savior, asking him to forgive you of all your sin, you today can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Today you can leave this place saved and we'll leave this place rejoicing. Why not let today be the day that you are rescued from the enslavement of sin? You just may be somebody's one that they're waiting to see rescued. As they begin to sing this song of invitation, would you come? Would you come and receive Jesus as your Savior?